All right. Hey, good morning, everyone. Welcome to Crestview Baptist Church. Thank you for coming to worship with us this morning. We are so glad to have you here. Uh, if you are a guest and are with us for the first time, we would love to have a record of your attendance. If you could fill out a um, the uh, visitor slot, the visitor card in the um, pews in front of you, and drop it in the offering plate here in a little while. That's a, that's going to be weird for me to start staying. Drop it in the offering plate. We haven't done that in a while. Um, I have a few announcements to get us started for today. Uh, don't forget, we have a work day Thursday night. Um, and uh, Christmas play, play practice. Um, it says in the youth building, Sandra, we're going to in the choir room. We're meeting in the choir room. There'll be a, a light supper to follow that. So 5.30 Wednesday night in the choir room. Um, I have some other announcements, but Miss Joyce fixing to come up here in a minute. Um, Seniors are going to meet down here right after church. Uh, Miss Sander wants to talk to you guys. Um, also, um, Truck or Treat, that's the one I was looking for. Truck or Treat is uh, this Saturday, this coming Saturday at, from 5 to 7. We are, uh, tell your friends, it's on Facebook. Um, it's uh, going to be on the sign. Uh, Invite your neighbors, uh, anybody who has kids, tell them to stop by, swing by. We're going to be giving out free cotton candy as long as we have it. Um, plus, we're going to have hopefully lots of trunks. I'm going to have lots of people come up and tell me they're going to do trunks. Um, I'm just trusting you, knowing you're going to be here. So if you want to be here to set up a trunk on a Saturday, try to, be, try to be here around 4.30 so we have plenty of time to set up and get, and get cars stopped moving in the parking lot before um, before five we're going to set up on this side of the church where everybody can see us um, so that and um, next Sunday one week from today which Miss Joy's gonna come up and tell you about the luncheon but we're going to have a luncheon and after the luncheon is over I'm going to take we're going to the youth and the children we're going to go to the corn maze it's the last day for the corn maze we're going to go it's uh the cost is said it was $13, and that gets you into the farm, and that's the corn maze and a hayride and all kind of fun stuff along with it. Um, so youth and children, we're going to we'll eat here at the luncheon after church, and then we'll pack up, and we'll head off to the corn maze and be over there when they open around 2 o'clock. Uh, so keep those things in mind. Uh, right now, Miss Joy is going to come up, and she had a whole list of things to share with you. You either get it all at once or I get up here every Sunday. <laughs> uh, as Chad was saying, next Sunday we're having WMU and Baptist men are going to fix a potato bar and salads and a dessert, and it'll be for a donation for North Carolina Missions. Uh, we do need you to sign up, though, so we'll know how much to buy. And there's a sign-up and then a blank sheet behind it so that if you want to go out there and sign up after the service. Um, I also wanted to remind you of the challenge that we had for the shoeboxes for each family to do two. And if you have any questions about how to pack them or what to put in them or what not to put in them, uh, you can call me or text me or email me. And if I don't know the answer, I'll try to get it for you. 
We also have a sign up out on the bulletin board to go to Boone to the processing center on December the 6th. Uh, we still have some vacancies, so if you'd like to go, be sure and sign up. <clears throat> on November the 9th, the children and youth will be packing boxes. And the ornaments back there on the tree are for some things that we really don't have a lot of, <clears throat> excuse me, or for a $5 donation to help with the shipping. Um, let's see. The box to put your items in is out in the hallway also. And uh, we'll have shoebox dedication on November the 13th. I want to remind you too of the Lottie Moon Supper. That's coming up real fast. That'll be on November 17th. And I'll put a sign up uh, probably next Sunday. Be sure to sign up and choose what you want to eat. We'll be having the same menu uh, roast and vegetables or chicken. So uh, be sure and put what you want and so we'll know what to buy on that. And we'll have to close the Senate by November the 11th to get the food ordered, they told me this year. And later on we'll be having a Lottie Moon soup supper. Both of those are fundraisers for Lottie Moon and we'll announce the soup supper later. Thank you. Thank you for being here. Thank you. Uh, we've got a lot of stuff going on over the next few weeks. I mean, and then it's just going to get busier until the end of the year. So uh, please pay attention to the announcements. Check the schedule, the Facebook page, the website, the, uh, the bulletin. Those are all be in there as reminders. But thank you for being here. Thank you for those of you that are joining us online. We appreciate you being with us this morning. And at this time... If you would uh, join me in prayer, and if you would like to, um, you're welcome to come to the front, but we are going to, to go ahead and pray at this time. So if you would please stand as we pray. <clears throat> Our blessed Heavenly Father, we come before you. Dear Lord, we seek your face. As you have heard by the announcements, dear Lord, that there is a lot of things going on in our church. Many of those are opportunities to serve other people. Whether it's just passing out candy and talking to people in the community. Or it's going and working and packing shoeboxes to ship across the world to share the gospel with children all over the world. Or donations to help pack shoe boxes. Or raising money for missions. Dear Lord, we have so many things that are going on. But please, dear Lord, keep us focused on the purpose that we are here for. And that is to give honor and glory to you. Dear Lord, I pray right now as we've come together that you will bind Satan from this place. That your spirit will move among your people and we will be attentive to your will and to your word. And we will allow your spirit to work in us to change us from the inside out, dear Lord, as we are becoming new creatures, as we are becoming more like you. 
Dear Lord, I also pray that today that everything that is done and said will be bring honor and glory to you. That nothing will happen here that would distract from the gospel of Jesus Christ. But that people will continually be pointed toward you. Dear Lord, continue to make us the disciples and the church that you want us to be. That we are found wholly acceptable in you. And may you have your way with us today as we worship you. And it is in the holy and precious name of Jesus Christ, our Savior, we pray. Amen. Please remain standing. Would you turn your hymnals to page 61 as we sing the first and last verses of Savior Like a Shepherd Lead Us, page 61.
As your Heavenly Father, what an honor it is for us to give back to you what you have blessed us so greatly with. We pray, dear Lord, that you can use these gifts of tithes and offerings to further your kingdom. For it is your holy name, Jesus, that we pray. Amen. him 411. <laughs>
Thank you, choir, for that. Last week, <clears throat> we, I preached about Jesus calming the storms. And I said something about people that believe and teach the prosperity gospels of that 
if you are serving God and have the relationship with God that you should have, that you won't face any problems, that you'll have everything that you want and that he will bless you. I also said that was a false teaching. If you look at the New Testament, everywhere you turn, you look at people that go through difficulties serving God. Even Jesus said, the fox has its den, the birds have their nest, but even the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. That he had nothing. He traveled around for three and a half years, sleeping where he could sleep. Even in the garden, he prayed to the point where he was sweating. The capillaries in his skin burst and blood started coming out of his sweat, mixed with his sweat, because he was under such stress, because he was struggling doing what God had for him to do. Peter was beaten, he was in jail. All the disciples, all the apostles, they all faced difficulties in serving Jesus Christ. That does not go along with the narrative of a prosperity gospel. And I'm here to tell you that every single one of us that carry the name of Jesus Christ, that serve our Savior, will have mountaintop experiences and will have valley experiences. We will all experience those in our lives. And I'm going to tell you, even pastors, even church staff members, we have to remember, we are 100% human. We do have a higher calling, but we are still human and we will experience we will experience the highs and lows in our ministry. I'm going to tell you, I read an article this past week that pastors that are, are pastoring churches of our size, and I even talked to pastors in our, in our area about this Thursday, and it is true, we are struggling. And so today we're going to look in 1 Kings. And we're going, there's going to be a lot of Scripture today, but we've only got two focal points, two focal verses. But we're going to look at a lot of Scripture in 1 Kings chapter 18 and 1 Kings chapter 19 to understand that God is the God of the mountaintops and the valleys. See, part of the prosperity gospel that it teaches and the underlying thing is that there is always that mountaintop experience. And we have had people that honestly believe they have to have that mountaintop experience 24-7, 52 weeks a year to feel like they are with God. But I have to under make you understand this. We experience both mountaintops and valleys in our lives. So let's look at this. If you'd please stand, turn to 1 Kings chapter 19. We're going to look at verse 3 and 4 to start things off today. And then we're going to go back and get a, a, a 
back view of what's going on leading up to this point. Verse 3, we see this. And he was afraid and arose and ran for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a juniper tree. And he requested for himself that he might die and said, It is enough now, O Lord, take my life, for I am not better than my father's. Now those verses are going to seem strange to you. But we need to focus. This is about Elijah. And at this point in his life, that's how Elijah felt. That he is, he is no better than anybody else and he is ready to die. And he is actually praying that God would take his life at this point. That is how low he feels at this point in his life. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank You for what we see recorded here in the Old Testament in the book of 1 Kings. And help us to understand, dear Lord, that it is not always about the mountaintops and it's not always about the valleys. And seeing the importance of both in our lives. Bless us. Speak through me today. And it's in the holy and precious name of Jesus Christ, our Savior, we pray. Amen. Elijah feeling like this. Well, we have to jump back to chapter 18. But Elijah had just experienced probably the, the biggest mountaintop experience with God he had ever experienced in his life. So let's look at Elijah's mountaintop experience with God. First thing is that Elijah challenges the prophets of Baal to a contest to prove who is the true God. Jehovah or Baal? See, Jezebel and Ahab had led the people away from God. They were evil. And they had led people away from God. And they had turned the entire country of Israel to Baal worshipers. They had turned away from Jehovah. And they had been worshiping Baal. See, 1 Kings chapter 18, verses 22-24 through 24 says this, Then Elijah said to the people, I alone am left a prophet of the Lord, but Baal's prophets are 450 men. Now let them give us two oxen and let them choose one ox for themselves and cut it up and place it on the wood, but put no fire under it. And I will prepare the other ox and lay it on the wood and will not put fire under it. Then you call on the name of, the God, of your God, and I will call on the name of the Lord, and the God who answers by fire, He is God. And all the people said that it is a good idea. So here, Elijah challenges. And he says even here, I am the only one left. I am the only prophet. See, Jezebel had all the other prophets killed, and Elijah even took some and hid them in caves all over the country of Israel to protect them. And he had been playing this game of cat and mouse. But he finally gets to a point. God tells him, you need to go talk to Ahab. So God goes up there to Ahab, or Elijah goes to Ahab, and he says, in front of all the people, all the people are called to Mount Carmel. And, and he says, he says, let's have a contest. Let's prepare two offerings. 
to offer to our gods, but don't put any fire on it and we'll pray. And whoever answers with fire, he alone is the true God. And the people says, you know, that's a good idea. Let's see who the true God is. Okay, so that's where he is. He's, he's getting ready to, to do this. And he said, then God sent fire from heaven that consumed the sacrifice, wood, stones, water, and answered to Elijah's prayer. Look at 1 Kings chapter 18, 36 through 38. At the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice, Elijah the prophet came near and said, O Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, today let it be known that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and I have done all these things at your word. Answer me, O Lord, answer me, that these people, what people? These people. The children of Israel, the ones that are watching that these people may know that you, O Lord, are God and that you have turned their heart back again. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. You see, Elijah had let the prophets of Baal, 450 of them, go first. He said, by all means, you go first. So there doing their thing, and Elijah had even been jeering them, saying, hey, maybe you need to scream louder. Maybe he's asleep, and you need to wake him up. So they started, and they even got to the point where they were cutting themselves, ripping their clothes, cutting themselves, pouring their own blood to get Bell's attention. And he said, maybe he's on vacation. Maybe he's gone on a trip. And they start going, all day long this goes on. 450 guys going berserk, cutting themselves, screaming, yelling, dancing, doing everything. And nothing happens. Then it gets to the, de- to the time of the evening sacrifice. And Elijah tells them to gather two, 12 stones that represent the 12 tribes of Israel. He builds an altar. He takes the ox, he cuts it up, he places, he gets, gathers wood, puts the wood on there, puts the ox on there, and then he tells them, and remember, they're in the middle of a three and a half year old uh, year drought. There has not been any rain. Water is precious. The crops have died. Animals have been, uh, began to die. People were dying. So he tells them, go back, go get these jars filled with, filled with water, dump it on the offering. He dug a trench around to the point where the offering the sacrifice, everything was covered in water and the trench was overflowing with water. And then he goes down and he prays. And he prays that God would prove to those people that He was who He said He was. That He was the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And that God would turn the people's heart, not Elijah, but God would turn the people's heart back to Him. And immediately, God sent fire from the heaven. Fire to the point that it burnt the offering. There was nothing left of it. There was no wood left of it. There wasn't even ash left. And it burnt the stones. You know, Richard Holden, our pastor that that preached our revival said, have you ever seen stones burn? Well, it did. We're talking fire that was hotter than lava. That it, it, and it lapped up all the water. There was absolutely nothing left of this sacrifice. 
to the answer to, to Elijah's prayer. And then the people of Israel turned back to Jehovah as the one true God. 1 Kings 18.39 When all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and they said, The Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. Yahweh. Yahweh. That's what they were shouting. The name of God. And then those 450 people prophets of Baal, Elijah killed them all. Sounds sort of brutish, but he did. 1 Kings 18.40 Then Elijah said to them, Seize the prophets of Baal. Do not let one of them escape. So they seized them, and Elijah brought them down to the brook Kishon and slew them there. He killed all 450 of these prophets of Baal. The ones that were leading the people away and, and teaching false teachings. He had them all killed. And then this three and a half year, three and a half year drought ended. God ended this drought in another answer to another prayer of Elijah. And all of this is going on in the mountain on the mount at Mount Carmel, 1 Kings 18, 42-45. So Ahab went up and ate and drank, but Elijah went up to the top of Carmel, and he crouched down on the earth and put his face between his knees. He said to his servant, Go up now, look toward the sea. So he went up and looked and said, There is nothing. And he said, Go back seven times. It came about at the seventh time, he said, Behold, a cloud as small as a man's hand is coming up from the sea. And he said, Go up, say to Ahab, prepare your chariot and go down so that the heavy shower does not stop you. In a little while, the sky grew black with clouds and wind and there was a heavy shower and Ahab rode and went to Jezreel. Three and a half years of drought. See, when the drought hit, it came because God had told Elijah to tell Ahab that until God said so, that drought was going to continue. Three and a half years later, still no rain. Elijah gets down on his face before God and he begins to pray. And, and God answers that prayer. And he even goes and tells Ahab, he says, you better get ready to go. You better get where you're going with that heavy chariot of yours because it's getting ready to rain. And you don't want to get stuck in the mud. So what happens? The seventh time his servant, and, and Elijah's down on the ground with his face on the ground before God. On the seventh time, the servant comes back and says, there's a cloud. They've not seen a cloud in three and a half years. There's a cloud. And before long, the sky grew dark. And it began to rain. Because God answered Elijah's prayer. And the final experience, that, that mountaintop experience, the final part of it that Elijah experiences, God filled Elijah with power and he was able to outrun Ahab's chariot. See, Ahab had already taken off in his chariot going to Jezreel. Elijah was still on top of Mount Carmel when it started to rain. 
But in verse 46 of chapter 18, it says this, Then the hand of the Lord was on Elijah, and he girded up his loins and outran Ahab to Jezreel. So here you have, you know, the king. He's got the most powerful horses there are. He's got the most beautiful chariot and the fastest chariot. He's got the best of everything. And and he's already got a head start on Elijah. Elijah's up on top of the mountain. And the hand of the Lord comes upon Elijah. And his final mountaintop experience. He says that God laid His hand on him and he was filled with power. And he reached down and grabbed his robes and he tied them up under his belt. Made him a little pair of shorts. Basically, what he was, he reached down and pulled that thing up and put his belt around him and made himself a pair of shorts and he took off running. And here is Elijah. Outrunning these big, powerful horses. And he beats Ahab to Jezreel. What a mountaintop experience has Elijah just had that, that he was able. Through his prayers, God answered and turned the entire nation of Israel away from idolatry back to him. That three and a half years of drought were ended because of the prayers God answered that came from Elijah. You talk about the most incredible mountaintop experience that he had ever had in his life. 450 false teachers were killed and done away with. He outran a chariot. What an incredible spiritual high he was having. But it doesn't last. God meets Elijah in his valley. Immediately following this, Immediately following this great spiritual high on Mount Carmel, Elijah experiences the lowest part point of his life. You see, in chapter 19, verses 1-4, through we pick up these verses that we read at the very beginning. This is how Elijah ended up here. Now Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah, saying, So may the gods do to me, and even more, if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. And he was afraid, and rose and ran for his life, and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a juniper tree and he requested for himself that he might die and said, It is enough now, O Lord. Take my life, for I am no better than my father's. You see, at this point, it took one person. One person! That wasn't even there to see any of it. To see what God did on top of Mount Carmel through Elijah. They weren't even present to see it happen. But it took one person to say something. To have his spiritual high that he experienced there on Mount Carmel come crashing to the ground. Church, in this case, 
Satan used a very evil person to do this. But in the case of a church, many times, it's not the ones that are lost. But Satan uses the ones that are committed to Christ. Why? Because many times that's the ones that hurt the most. When a brother and sister that you walk arm in arm with say something or do something that causes pain. It happens. It happens. But that is how Elijah got to that point. He was on such a... Listen. I want you to think about this. Many times when we are in that spiritual high, we become more susceptible to the attacks. You look at, at, at Jesus... After Jesus was baptized in the Jordan by John the Baptist, what does the Bible say that He did? He went out into the wilderness for 40 days, didn't He? And He fasted for 40 days. What was He doing there in that time? Think about it. What was He doing during those 40 days of fast? He was having one-on-one time with God, His Father. Up until that point, Jesus knew there was something different about Him. And he was feeling the urging. But I truly believe that after his baptism, Jesus saw that dove where everybody else heard thunder. He heard the voice of God. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And at that moment, it clicked. So Jesus went out into that wilderness for 40 days, fasted and prayed, did not eat anything, did not drink anything for 40 days. He was at his weakest point physically. But he was having a spiritual mountaintop experience because he was face to face with God himself, finding out who he was, what his job was, what his ministry was, and what he needed to do next. Mountaintop experience he had for 40 days. And who showed up at the end of those 40 days after having that 40 day long spiritual communion with God? Who showed up? Satan. And tempted him three times. Jesus experienced it. Elijah experienced it. And we're going to experience the valleys in our lives. But God met Elijah where he was and met his physical needs first. Now look at this. Chapter 19, verses 5-8. through He lay down and slept under a juniper tree. And behold, there was an angel touching him. And he said to him, Arise, eat. Then he looked, and behold, there was at his head a bread cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. So he ate and drank and lay down again. The angel of the Lord came again a second time and touched him and said, Arise, eat because the journey is too great for you. So he arose and ate and drank and went in the, and 
went in the strength of that food 40 days and 40 nights to Horeb, the mountain of God. Then he came there to a cave and lodged there. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. And he said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? I want you to notice a change in definite articles. Or actually in articles. The first one is an indefinite article. It says, an angel. It was no particular angel. It was just an angel of God that came the first time and woke him up and, and said, eat. Elijah ate the bread and the water that was prepared for him and then went back to sleep. But the second time, and help, help me out here, professor, this is a definite article, isn't it? The. It means a specific angel. Not just any angel, but the angel. The angel of the Lord. There's two ways of looking at it. It could be that this is referring to the same angel that had waking him up the first time, a specific angel, the same one, because it says a second time. The other way of seeing this is the way it appears everywhere else in the Old Testament is that this is referring to a specific person because any other place that it mentions the angel of the Lord in the Old Testament, it's referring to one person. It's referring to Jesus Christ incarnate. It is quite possibly that when we say that God met Elijah where he was, it's the same thing that happens with us. That Jesus Christ met Elijah where he was and first took care of his physical needs and told him what was coming next. Just like God, Jesus, he meets us where we are and gives us what we need to have to get us to where he wants us to be. So God meets Elijah here under this juniper tree. And he says, eat. He says, this journey is too great for you. So he eats. He gets some more rest. And then he eats again. And, in the, and the strength that he gets from those food, he travels for 40 days to Mount Horeb. And he goes to a cave there. And, and when I, he's in the cave, he hears God ask him this question. What are you doing here, Elijah? Why are you at this point in your life? What is going on? And then something miraculous happens. Now listen to this. Many times people will say, fake it until you make it. Don't ever complain. Don't be angry with God. Don't challenge God. Don't ask God questions. Just do. Look at what happens here. God allows Elijah to vent his frustrations. He asked him, how did you get here? Why are you here? Why are you at this, at this low point? And he allows him to answer him. Verse 19, or chapter 19, verses 9 through 10. Then he came there to a cave and lodged there. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him and said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? He said, I have been very zealous for the Lord. The God of hosts for the sons of Israel have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. And I alone am left, and they seek my life to take it away. He's basically saying, 
I have worked myself silly. I am tired. I am hurt. I have done everything. And these hard-headed Jews will not listen to me. And they have killed all the prophets. And they have turned away from your promises. And they are serving false gods. And I am the only one left and I'm trying to do it all by myself. And now they're trying to kill me. He just pours his heart out to God. You know what he's actually saying? God, why aren't you taking care of me? Why am I having to go through this? Where are you? I am, and he says it, I alone am left. I am the only one. Where are you, God? And I'm going to tell you something. There's not a person in this room can tell me they've never been to that point. Not a single one of you. I'm going to tell you something. I've been at that point for almost a year now. I really have. It started when Bruce died. I told you guys back in September, right before, at the very first day of our revival, I have been so angry. And I have been. And I have been in a valley for about a year. Fighting and clawing to get out. And it comes out in frustration and anger and temper and everything else. And I apologize for that. But we've all been there. And what I have found out through this Scripture and from other people talking to me and talking to other pastors is what we're getting ready to see what happens with Elijah. But we need to let God know how we feel because He cares. And He gives us that opportunity. He wants us to be honest with Him. Listen, if you're not honest to God, that's just another sin that you're going to have to confess later anyway. So you might as well let Him know. Don't hide it. He knows. And let me tell you something, when you get to that point and you start hiding things, all you're doing is hurting yourself. All you're doing is hurting yourself. That is when depression, that is when all of these other mental, uh, not diseases, but mental problems, when they come in, is when we're not honest with God. But we as Christians think that we are above that. No, we're not. We are not above it. God is the only one that is above that. And He's the only one that can see us through. And He wants us to tell Him. He wants us to pour his, our guts out to Him just like Elijah is doing here in the cave. So after God allows Elijah to, to vent his frustrations and tell him how he's feeling and how he ended up there, God meets Elijah where he was again and met his spiritual needs. So in verses 11 through 14, it says this. So he said, Go forth and stand on the mountain before the Lord, and behold, the Lord was passing by. 
and a great and strong wind was rending the mountains and breaking in pieces the rock before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a sound of a gentle blowing. When Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood in the entrance of the cave. And behold, a voice came to him and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? Again, in the presence of God, a God asked him, Why are you here? And again, Elijah says, I have been very zealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the sons of Israel have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars, and killed your prophets with a sword, and I alone am left. And they seek my life to take it away. In the presence of God. Do you guys remember when we were going through Exodus on Wednesday nights? And um, the children of Israel challenged Moses and said, why is it he only talks to you? We want to hear God's voice. And so God said, okay, let them approach the mountain. They all surrounded the, the base of the mountain and God spoke. What did they hear? Thunder, lightning, blowing of wind, earthquakes, rocks falling and breaking apart. And what did the children of Israel say when they heard the voice of God? And they, it didn't say that Moses reacted this way. What did it say the children of Israel said? Tell him, don't talk to us anymore. We'll take your word for it. We don't want God talking to us because He's going to kill us if He talks to us. The same thing in the presence of God. But it wasn't until that, that, that soft voice, that soft blowing, and the gentle voice of God comes and said, why are you here? I've been with you the whole time. Why are you here? And after that, God gives Elijah jobs to do to show him God's faithfulness. When Elijah realizes that God is with him, that he's there, God gives him some tasks to prove his faithfulness. Look at verses 15 through 18. The Lord said to him, Go, return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus, and when you have arrived, you shall anoint Hazel king over Aram. And Jehu, the son of Nimeshi, or Nimshi, you shall anoint king over Israel. And Elisha, the son of Shaphat, of Ib I cannot pronounce that word, so please forgive me. You shall anoint a prophet in your place. It shall come about the one who escapes from the sword of Hazel, Jehu shall put to death. And the one who escapes the sword of Jehu, Elisha will put to death. Yet, I will leave 7,000 in Israel, all the knees that have not bound or bowed to Baal and every mouth that has not kissed him. 
So what God is doing here is He's showing Elijah, you are not alone. You're going to go and anoint two kings that will keep leading the people to Me. That will not turn back to Baal. And then you're going to go and anoint your successor. The one that's going to take up the fight after you. Because I have started something that I am not going to quit until it's completed. And on top of that, he's telling him, you are not alone. Because there are 7,000 people in Israel that have not bent a knee to worship Baal or kissed him. That have not turned away from me. Guys, let me tell you something. It's in those valleys that we do think well, we're in it by ourselves. That we're all alone. And that leads to the anger. That leads to the frustration. That leads to the harmful actions. But the entire time, God is there with us. And He's trying to get us to understand that we are not alone. We are not alone. And then finally, here's some truths about mountaintop experiences. And if you don't, didn't listen to anything else, I want you to listen to these four points right here. Truths about mountaintop and valley experiences. One, is that valleys will always, again, valleys will always follow a mountaintop. If you get on a mountaintop and there's no valley on the other side of it, you're not on a mountaintop. You're on a plateau. And you're not going to go any higher or any lower. You're just going to stay there. Mountaintops will always follow a valley. If you're in a valley right now, you're not going to stay there. Because there's another mountaintop coming. And if there's never a mountaintop, you're not really in a valley. Again, you're on a plateau. And the two main points are this. The mountaintop is where we experience what we experience when God shows up and shows out. That's our mountaintops. When God takes control and He shows out and shows us the power of God, that is our mountaintops. But we can't truly experience those mountaintops without going through the valleys because it's the valley is where God meets us one-on-one and prepares us and teaches us what we need to know in order to reach and experience the next mountaintop. You guys understand what I just said? What was the next mountaintop experience Elijah experienced? The biggest one that he experienced after this episode? I'll give you a hint. It was the biggest mountaintop experience of his life. Not period. Far surpasses what happened on Mount Carmel. See, Elijah is one of only two people in the entire Bible that didn't do what? He didn't die. After this, after this valley, he goes and does what God told him to do. He goes and anoints Elisha as his successor. And it wasn't long after that 
that a whirlwind came down and a chariot of fire took up Elijah and took him to be with God. He was there and then he wasn't. He did not die. There was no body to bury. You talk about a mountaintop experience. As he got to be in the presence of God, his creator. And Jesus, his Savior, he was saved by faith just like we were. Except he was looking forward. We're looking to what Jesus did and what he's going to do. But that valley was preparing him for what was coming next. Just like it prepares us for what's coming next. Church, I want to tell you, it's not been easy. And I know that while I've been in this valley, at times I've been a bear to be around. I really have. During that valley, I've felt unappreciated. I've felt like a whooped horse that's been ridden hard and put up wet. It has been difficult at home. It has been difficult at work. But I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that God is with me. And the rest of you that have been experiencing these valleys, you are not alone. God is with you. And He's preparing us for what He's going to do now. Next, if you will just listen to Him. And I'm going to tell you, when God calls you to the woodshed to get you straight and ask you, why are you here? Guys, I'm going to tell you, it's not without pain. But it is so worth it. Because we become better. We can become more committed. If you're in a valley right now, listen to what God's trying to show you. Be honest with Him. Answer that question. Why are you here? And prepare yourself for that next mountaintop. And if you're on the mountaintop right now, enjoy it. Because a valley's coming. A valley's coming. God is working on all of us. And whatever He is leading us, whatever He is guiding us, whatever it is He's telling us to do, this is your opportunity. If it's come and kneel at this altar and pray, don't leave without doing it. If it's going to someone and talking to them, don't leave without doing it. If it's becoming a part of this congregation and this family of believers, don't leave without doing it. If it's the fact that you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior and you want to get that, experience, that, that taken care of, please do not leave without getting that taken care of. This is your opportunity to do that. Whatever it is God is calling you to do, do it. This is your chance as we stand and sing this song. As you stand as we sing hymn number 405, Have Faith in God. Have faith in God when your pathway is 
being here. Thank you for your patience. Do me a favor. It's not just me, but I'm going to tell you there are many pastors in our county that are struggling right now. Pray for us. Pray for them. As I actually told earlier this week, or late this past week, that there's one pastor that has been at a church for good Lord, over 10 years now. And he said the entire time he's been there, he's never wanted to quit until this past month. Pray for us. Just pray for, pray for your pastors. Don't forget what is coming up. Wednesday night, Christmas play practice for the children and youth at 5.30 in the choir room. Bible study at 6.30 for for uh, uh, children and youth in, the, in the, the youth building. College or young adult classes, are you meeting here or are you going to coffee shop? Here? Okay. Young adult class is meeting here at 6.30 um, for Bible study. And then we're having finishing, maybe, Maybe finishing chapter 28 of Acts, finishing up the book of Acts on Wednesday night here in the sanctuary. Please join us. Don't forget next week, 
sign up for the, the fundraiser for the potato salad and salad lunch after the service next Sunday morning. And I appreciate you being here. Thank you. If you are visiting and have not filled out a, for your first time and have not filled out a visitor's card, please do so and, and take it by the Welcome Center out front on your way out. We just want to have a record of you being here. I want to say thank you for being here again. And I'm going to ask... Yes. Oh, meet for a mountain trip. Senior adults, meet up here in the front or do you want to meet back there in the back where Mike and Peggy... Meet back there in the back with Mike and Peggy so... So Mike and Peggy don't have to, to move up there. Is that good for you guys? So you don't have to come over and meet back here in the corner right here with Mike and Peggy, senior adults. And thank you. And now I'm going to ask Jim Humphreys as our deacon of the week if he would. And, and, and by the way, if you didn't notice today that we changed the order of service, um, adding back in our offering. So please be patient with us as we are Two, two and a half years of, or almost three years of doing it one way and we've switched back to doing it the old way and we have to get back in the swing of things. So uh, just be patient with you, us as we rearrange that. And don't forget, is Janie still better? Tomorrow, is, is, are we planning on having somebody in the office tomorrow? Is she going to be here? Do you know? Okay, tomorrow at 10 o'clock, we will start having somebody in our office. Remember last week we announced about our our intern that will be, um, we're getting a four-month intern that will be here to help in the office and to uh, help her learn new skills. And so, uh, please, come by, give a call, whatever. It's going to be a little bit getting used to things, but we will start having somebody in the office again um, tomorrow at 10 o'clock. So thank you for being here again. And Jim, if you would please dismiss us. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for the blessings you've poured upon this church. And thank you for helping us across the mountaintops when things were great and helping us through the valleys when we're struggling. Lord, we lift up our ministry staff. We lift up Artie and Sandra and Chad and just pray you continue to bless them, to enable them, to fill them with the Spirit, to lead us in service to you. And help each one of us as a member of the congregation to be committed and totally, totally surrendered to your will and your way and to do whatever we can to support our, our, our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. Be with us as we move forward. Grant us wisdom. Grant us patience and, and strengthen our faith. For it's in Christ's name. Amen.